You are now listening to Hack My Age, the show that brings you guests with information on how to make yourself hard to kill and help you live to 100 and beyond in good condition. I'm your host, Zora Benamou, a digital nomad currently stuck in Spain, certified sports nutrition coach and master student of gerontology at USC. I am the creator of the Longevity Master Plan, an online program to slow aging and author of the cookbook, Eating for Longevity. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review to help others find us too. All right. Well, welcome to the podcast interview with biohackers, Leslie Kenny and Amy Lamotte. These are advanced biohackers, by the way. <laughs> Today, we're going to talk about a new longevity super agent called spermidine. So Leslie Kenny is a certified health coach, patient advocate, Harvard and Berkeley graduate, sexologist. We got to get you on for a sex talk and founder of Oxford HealthScan. This is a nutraceutical company promoting a healthier, longer life for everyone. And Amy Lamott is the managing director of Valot Nutrigenomics Limited in Hong Kong. She is a clinical nutritionist and researcher specializing in personalized nutrition, nutritional genomics, nutrition for aging, anti-aging, as circadian biology and the microbiome. She has a master's of science in human nutrition, summa cum laude, through the top of her class from the University of Bridgeport and a JD from Yale Law School. So these are my two biohacking besties who I've become closer and closer with through our passion for biohacking for older women and health optimization. And we've all become really close um, through our growing interest in spermidine too. So interestingly enough, we all lived in Hong Kong at some point. Um, Amy is living there still right now. Um, I think so like 20 years ago on. And, um, and in Hong Kong, so I originally met Amy there. And eventually I met Leslie with whom it turns out we have a few other friends in common. So these two amazing women are paving the way in the biohacking space with their knowledge, their experience, and their love of science. And I'm so fortunate to have them in my life and really grateful that they've taken this time to share their knowledge with us today. Um, there's one little disclaimer for Amy. Amy Lamont has a master's of science in nutrition and is not a medical doctor. This discussion and presentation provides scientific education and nothing on it is to be construed as medical advice or a substitute to medical medical advice. So if you've got medical questions, ask your own doctor. So without further ado, welcome Leslie and Amy. Hello, and thank you so much for inviting us. Uh, I think it's so exciting that we have this wonderful tribe of women who are fabulous and over 50 who are all forging the way to living our best life in the second half of life. And uh, when I first started down the biohacking journey, there were no, not really many women my age or our age who were doing this. They were all young guys and, uh, you know, they were getting very swole and having their protein shakes and that's terrific, but obviously women are built differently and women who are going through menopause or who are postmenopausal, our needs are different. So I'm so glad you have started this platform for other like-minded women, because I know that uh, I want to continue to still feel fabulous, even when I'm a hundred. And this is exactly the forum we need for that conversation. Oh, thank you. That's a, that's a re really great to have you part of this group as well. We could, you know, this is a tribe <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. and Amy's part of that tribe. Welcome, Amy. How are you doing? Hi, Zora. That was such a nice introduction. 
Um, oh. And I, I still will never forget the day that we went to see the sunrise together in Sheko. And now I watch you doing that every day in Spain. And it's just such a great part of a healthy lifestyle. Yeah, no, we're going to definitely have more and more of these sunrises and sunsets too. So I'm, I'm really, really excited to have friends like you in my life who actually will wake up at five in the morning to go and see a sunrise with me. So let's get started a little bit on this spermidine. Um, I wanted to ask, I'm going to ask you one by one because you guys have different answers. Uh, let's start with Leslie first. Where did this interest in spermidine come from? We're going to talk about what is spermidine a little bit later, but I want you, maybe it'll also come into the conversation in your answer. But why did you choose this when there's so many other? <laughs> well, I first heard about spermidine from a young scientist at Oxford Science Innovation, and he knew about my autoimmune condition, and he said hey, I'd love to introduce you to this amazing scientist also here at Oxford, Katja Simon. And she's a professor of immunology and the world's leading expert on autophagy and the immune system. I was immediately interested. She's part of the Kennedy Institute of Rheumatology. So being a former rheumatoid arthritis patient, this piqued my curiosity. Speaking to her about this compound, which she was using in uh, preclinical trials in mice. She was telling me how helpful it was with inflammatory conditions, with, with immune conditions. Again, this is in mice. And so therefore we cannot immediately extrapolate to humans. I do want to say that. The more that I looked at it, the more excited I became when I realized the anti-aging applications. And there's a a fantastic paper, which some of you will have seen me quote, quote or cite before from Linda Partridge, Matias Fuente Alba and Brian Kennedy that was published in Nature in 2020. And they look at all of the agents to target the hallmarks of aging. So I'm going to hold up a diagram here with the nine hallmarks of aging. Oh, wait, hold back a little bit and read some of them to us because <laughs> okay. it's so great you have this. Yes. Okay. So they would be altered intercellular communication, genomic instability, telomere attrition, epigenetic alterations, loss of proteostasis, deregulated nutrient sensing, mitochondrial dysfunction, cellular senescence, and stem cell exhaustion. And spermidine actually will help with six of them. So I think the last time Amy and I did a webinar with you, only five had been proven, but the, the research is just coming out so quickly that we now know that it helps with the sixth hallmark of aging, which is telomere attrition. But the mm -hmm. other five hallmarks it helps with are the epigenetic changes, impaired proteostasis, that's proper protein folding and function, including autophagy within the cell. And proteins in the cell are important because they act as transporters in the cell and help maintain cellular homeostasis. Mm -hmm. um, the, uh, another one, this would be the, <clears throat> the fourth hallmark would be mitochondrial dysfunction. Uh, fifth would be stem cell dysfunction. And the sixth would be impaired intercellular communication. When I saw that, I thought other compounds, you know, we, we all know about NAD and NAD is fantastic, but NAD hits one of these. And I'm thinking if NAD is big and it hits, sorry, NAD hits Impaired intercellular communication, at least according to the, the Kennedy Fuente Alba and Partridge paper, NAD enhancers hit 
it impaired intercellular communication. I thought and it's so the mitochondrial one. dysfunction or something because it has to do with energy. Well, it's very possible. And obviously, again, research is uh, continuing to pace. Amy may nor- know more about that. But six is a lot. Six hallmarks is a lot. That's huge. That is huge. And actually, let's go back to speaking English, because I'm sure that some people have no clue what what are these hallmarks of aging. And if you've been listening to, you know, enough people like Amy and and Leslie, you'll know, but a lot of people don't. So, you know, they may have gotten the, um, I mean, I had to talk, talk on Clubhouse yesterday about telomeres, and they were people there who have never heard of the word telomere. So we have to just dial it back a little bit. So maybe what can this, what does this all mean for somebody, hallmarks of aging? Because this was actually a great uh, discussion I had with Liz Parrish. And she said how doctors of the future will be looking at treating these hallmarks of aging. So they will try to repair, you know, the stem cell dysfunction or whatever it is, you know, the, the, the length of the telomeres or, but instead of saying, okay, let's try to give you this, lower your blood pressure. Let's yeah. try to lower your cholesterol. So instead they'll be talking the same language that you spoke. So maybe yeah. you can briefly tell us what does this mean? Hallmarks of aging and well, I'll give you a macro example. So when I was 39 and diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis and lupus, uh, I was also told I was infertile. Um, They didn't diagnose that I'd had Hashimoto's and I had about an eighth of a thyroid left. What was happening was premature aging. My mitochondria weren't functioning. I had chronic inflammation everywhere. Uh, definitely impaired intracellular communication. I'm surprised they didn't also diagnose me with prediabetes. So that is an example of what happens if you age prematurely and you don't want that and you can reverse it, which is what I did. Amy has a sort of similar story and she will do a better job of explaining what each of these things are in plain language. So I will defer to her. (laughs) Amy, then, can you explain then, let's skip to the basics, because we know that these hallmarks of aging are important if we don't want to age faster than normal. So perhaps you could also explain in, a, in your own language as well, what that may mean for somebody and, and share a bit of your interest and in why you want it to look into spermidine. So I think the easiest way to think about it is that health begins at the cellular level. And that when you're talking about something like a disease, like you mentioned, blood pressure, that's almost like a symptom of what has gone wrong at the cellular level. And so, you know, in functional medicine, they often talk about root cause, find the root cause. Well, ultimately, if you go to the cellular level, that is where the root cause of aging, you know, aging as potentially future, thinking of aging as a disease, but aging starts. And so that's why scientists are trying to come up with, you know, what are the things that are causing this cellular aging? And these hallmarks are just nine examples, you know, they're probably going to be more, they're going to be other things that cause aging, like I was reading a, a new book that's come out called ageless, which was talking about heartbeats, and how if you look at the research, it seems like humans might be born with a certain number of heartbeats, If you have a low resting heart rate, that means you know, you could live longer. 
Whereas obviously if you have a, an elevated resting heart rate, you might not live as long. So there are probably other things are going to mark health span and aging, but these are just nine hallmarks that scientists have come up with so far. Yeah. And I've heard of um, some people go between six and nine. So again, <laughs> that's, so that's either because it's old news that the six and now there's nine or not, but okay. So, so tell me then what is so interesting about spermidine and maybe explain what is spermidine because people are maybe a little bit confused on this molecule and why does it make it a super agent for longevity other than the hallmarks of aging (laughs) that with hits. So you had asked at the beginning, you know, when did I first hear about spermidine? I had studied uh, the polyamine pathway when I was in um, doing my master's of science in nutrition. When arginine breaks down, it can get converted into ornithine. Arginine is an amino acid converted to ornithine, and that gets converted into these different polyamines. Spermidine is one of them. There are others, putrescine and spermine. And we know that polyamine, polyamine, a molecule that's positively charged, has several amine aspects to it. What they're important for in the body is for cell growth and regeneration. Okay, that's what we need. So to when you when you think about that, it's like think about the tissues that are having the most cellular turnover. So like gut epithelial cells or blood cells, these are contexts where polyamines are going to be very important. Okay. All right. Sorry to interrupt you. Just wanted to make sure that everybody understood what, what a polyamine is. And is this an amino acid? No, it's not an amino acid. It's a derivative of an amino acid. So when you were studying this, then what was so special about this spermidine polyamine as a spermidine as a polyamine? Well, when I was studying it, there wasn't a lot of emphasis put on the polyamines precisely because they're very hard to measure clinically. So you can't, you know, right now, anyway, you can't go to your doctor and say, I'd like to test my polyamine levels or my spermidine levels. Like those type of tests don't exist clinically. And as I was studying clinical nutrition, you know, other than studying the biochemistry of it, there wasn't a lot of emphasis on it. So it was Leslie who called me up one day and said, what do you know about spermidine? Like, you know, I think this is really interesting. And she was actually the one who introduced me to this idea of spermidine as a longevity compound. I got it. Um, I would just add one more thing. At the same time that I was talking to Amy about spermidine as a longevity compound, I was doing work with a emeritus physiologist here at the University of Oxford named Dennis Noble, who was given a facsimile copy of 30 1,000-year-old longevity scrolls by his former pupil, the Empress of Japan, and because she had studied here at Oxford at Balliol College. Three of those scrolls have to do with longevity, and one of them has to do with semen retention. Now, you asked, what is spermidine? And of course, with a name like spermidine, it's got to have something to do with sperm, and indeed it does. It protects it and spermine protect DNA in seminal fluid. But the longevity scrolls, which were based on the ancient court practices of the Chinese emperors, emphasize semen retention. And when I saw that, I I was talking to Dennis one day and I said, you know, maybe we can prove that there's something to this. Obviously, thousands of years of observation must add up to something, right? All these doctors who've been observing how this works. And as we looked at the practices described in the scrolls, one of the things we saw was seminal retention. And I said, I'll bet it's the spermidine that actually benefits the man, right? Because it will be triggering autophagy. So the whole process of sex actually enhances your body's internal pharmacopoeia, its own 
pharmaceutical production internally to make this wonderful substance called spermidine. Spermine is good too. And they will induce autophagy or cellular renewal holistically throughout the body. What is the difference between spermine and spermidine? Well, I should probably, again, defer to Amy on that, but spermine inhibits only one of the nine hallmarks of aging. And I can't recall which one it does. There are, they often come together. Uh, so in wheat germ, even in our product, we don't say that we have spermine in there, but it is, it is also in there as well, because these three polyamines, spermine, putrescine, and spermidine often come together. So is it like curcumin being part of the turmeric root or is it a part, maybe Amy, Amy, do you know how to explain this a little bit? Well, the polyamines in general, you know, you should probably understand that there are three ways that you're getting them, you know, in the body. So one is that we're making them. And as I mentioned, you know, you have this pathway where the body can chemically convert arginine, which is an amino acid into ornithine, which is another amino acid into putrescine, which is a polyamine, and then spermidine and then spermine. And the body decides when you need more of one or the other in terms of your endogenous production, okay? But then what they know is that there are microbes that are in the gut microbiome and they make spermidine as well. And actually the intestine is one area that spermidine is really important. You have microbes that are making this and it's important to the lining of the intestines, for example. And then there's food, right? So we know that polyamines like vitamins and minerals are a component of some types of food. It's not found in all foods, but in some foods. So as humans, you know, there are essentially three sources. Wow. Okay. Very interesting. So we, I'm wondering how much then of the spermidine we get comes endogenously or from food or supplements. It's about, it's about one third that's made endogenously. And the problem of course, is that as we age, we aren't able to produce that as well. And then they think roughly one third from the microbiome, obviously depends on the makeup of your microbiome, and roughly one third from food, depending on the makeup of your diet, right? So, you know, diets like traditional Japanese diet or Mediterranean diet are very high in polyamines, whereas, you know, standard American diet is not. This is going to be a question for Leslie, because I'm thinking you've, when you're talking about the sperm and the spermidine and the sacs, when we're having sex, if my husband ejaculates, is, should I be on the cum diet? That's a very, that's a very good question. I have no scientific research on this. There are probably reasons why you would only want to do this if you were monogamous with your partner, but I, I think probably, probably it could help. The only thing is if he ejaculates at all, he's losing his own spermidine because the average ejaculate from a man will have 15 to 50 milligrams of spermidine in that. And if you think about our primidine, the spermidine supplement, it's one milligram per day, right? Yeah. Um, of course, there are prebiotics in there to help you also manufacture your own, but that just puts it into perspective. That's quite expensive, the, what my husband's like. <laughs> I put that in a bottle and like, that's well, quite a lot. Well, what you, what you, this is why seminal retention is important, especially as men age, because what Amy was saying earlier is that, you know, two thirds of our 
daily spermidine needs are sort of met by the gut biome production of it and by our tissues. And as we get older, those two areas begin to falter. Just like our hormones don't, we don't manufacture hormones in the same way we did as we were young. We don't produce melatonin or glutathione or some of these other things as well. The same thing happens with spermidine. And when you're younger, a, a, a man could ejaculate more, but as a man gets older, it becomes more expensive physiologically for him to manufacture that and then to lose that. Now, of course, maybe when he was younger, he was manufacturing 50 milligrams mm. per ejaculate. And maybe now he's only doing 15. That's possible too. But you can see why the ancient Taoist and why these Chinese court physicians would be saying, arouse yourself to the point where you're about to ejaculate, but then press on the perineum, squeeze the buttocks, get your partner to help you and retain it. Because then that's resorbed back into the body where it recirculates. Without the arousal, it doesn't get produced. Oh, okay. You totally answered my next question. <laughs> like, all right, we're going to have another chat with you on how men can do this or how we can help <laughs> partners do this uh, because it sounds like it's a life force energy for them. <laughs> and yes. they, they may help keep them youthful and strong and, and for many years. So, okay. Now, if you don't, um, let's, let's save that for another day. Um, let's go back to the spermidine because it was, spermidine sounds like a pretty cool Thing that it, it you said it protects the DNA um, as well for the sperm in terms of the seminal retention, but and it has all of these hallmarks of aging that it hits. So to put that into comparison, you said NAD boosters, for example, would hit only one. Are there any other um, supplements that reach this potential? This you know more than about six or close to six or more. The only one that comes close is rapamycin, which is an immune suppressant. And again, I'm not a doctor. I'm not able to really talk about this, but I'm simply, you know, showing this paper that's the Kennedy, Partridge uh, and Fuente Alba paper from Nature in 2020. And that's the only other compound, molecular compound that comes close. But I am an autoimmune survivor and I'm not bringing an immune suppressant any place close to, to my body anyway. Mm, interesting. There, there was also recently this really interesting study that actually compared the two compounds. You know, this was not in humans. It was in probably in vitro. And they showed that they were both acting on autophagy, but they were doing different things. Spermidine might be responsible for a certain aspect of autophagy or inducing autophagy, whereas rapamycin was doing something totally different, even though they were both working on autophagy. And, you know, th this is not my area of expertise. It's, you know, Katya Simon's area of expertise. But the more I learn, the more complicated you realize autophagy is because there's something called macro autophagy. There are alternative, you know, pathways of autophagy. It's not as straightforward as, you know, you might hear it spoken of in the biohacking circle. You know, spermidine, when I talk about spermidine, what I, the first thing I learned about it was autophagy and, but it seems like it's doing a whole lot more as well. So can you answer in Amy, how, first of all, explain to people what is autophagy? What else? Why is this such the focus in, in spermidine and not the others? And not the other other like the, the you know all the other hallmarks of aging. I mean, I'm when you think of autophagy in terms of hallmarks of aging, you know it could be indirectly having an effect on senescence. 
in immune cells, you know, one of the reasons that our immune system doesn't work as well as we age is because of immunosenescence. So you, you have these cells, they call them zombie cells, you know, that are kind of just hanging out, increasing inflammation and not actually doing the job they're supposed to do. And so it's really important to get rid of those cells. And autophagy is one of the ways we do that is it's the way we clean up the cell or run the dishwasher as Leslie likes to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had we had um, a great podcast all on autophagy. So if you guys haven't listened to that yet, go back and listen to it. Um, and we talked about some of the other ways that you can trigger autophagy through fasting, through exercise, through sauna use, um, ice bathing, um, some of the things that are quite um, hard for a lot of people <laughs> to do, or either don't have access or they're just find it difficult. So spermidine actually taking a supplement um, or getting it from your food was so much seemed to be so much easier and, and not everybody can do some of these things that trigger autophagy. Um, Leslie, what would you like to add to this? Well, I would just say that we are hearing an awful lot about the benefits of fasting and cold thermogenesis and heat shock proteins and exercise to trigger autophagy. But the reality is, is that only a, a small percentage of the population is going to make use of those ways to trigger autophagy. And that still leaves a very large majority of people who lead primarily sedentary lives, who are uh, suffering from diabetes in some way, shape, or form. And for those individuals, how do you incorporate a fasting diet into their daily lives or exercise? It's quite difficult. Using a supplement is actually a, a way to get higher compliance. So as a health coach, if someone comes to me and says, I'm overweight and I have no energy. And when I exercise, I have even less energy. Um, you know, then I would, if I say, consider a fasting diet, they will just look at me like I have two heads. And if I say, if I offer them something that is frictionless, take the supplement, well, they will do that mm-hmm. because that's still an ask of them, but that's actually within reach for them. And then once they see the benefits of, a, of something that has fasting mimetic properties, then they can uh, motivate themselves to try some of these other autophagy enhancing practices that we've talked about. Yeah, I think definitely just because you take a supplement or a medication or anything doesn't mean you throw out all the other practices of lifestyle and diet out the window. (laughs) And very often in all the clubhouses that we meet in and all the podcasts we do very often, you know, everybody has, um, we, someone down the road, either me or the, the speaker will will really lay the groundwork for the fact that that treatment, that supplement, that whatever is not going to really work as well if you don't get the foundation in there. And the foundation is imagine like a pyramid and the very bottom of the pyramid is your the foods that you eat, the foods that you don't eat, um, the, the, the exercise and movement that you get in, your sleep, uh, making sure that's spot on, managing your stress and having a purpose in life, having your community, your friends, your social network. This is all sort of very important. And then the middle part of the pyramid is the supplements and the treatments and the therapies. And, and then the very top is sort of like the, the advanced biohacking thing. So um, I, I would like to hear in terms of, and um, I'm not sure who would be better to answer this question in terms of how well does spermidine work if you don't have that foundation or, or if you do? 
Well, it works really, it does work well. In particular, in those who are less fit, it appears to be more beneficial, which you would expect, right? Hey, I'm butting in for a quick second. If you enjoy the content brought to you in this podcast, consider supporting Hack My Age by becoming a patron on patreon.com. This is where you can drop a tip or become a member for the price of a coffee. Members get special material, free coaching, and private Zoom calls. Join us by going to patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash hack my age. Thanks for your support. Now let's get back to the podcast. Because you are studying this all the time. Research is your passion and you know how to read studies like there's no tomorrow. And I would love for you to share with us some of the latest research that's coming out. And as far as, as we know, most of the studies done on spermidine are done on animals, but there are human trials coming out. Is there anything new that's on the front? I can't really comment on those, but if you go into the um, database that registers clinical trials in the United States, for example, you can see the the studies that are underway. I think it's going to be very interesting to see what happens, but I think you should, you know, I recommend that people go take a look at those themselves. Okay. And what about uh, some of the studies that have already come out that that are more recent than in the last year or so? Is there anything new that we haven't? I mean, a lot of people maybe are listening to this for the first time, but what about the, the, the latest stuff that's that's coming other than the one that you have unless there's if there's more I, th- I think that the the one that was most interesting to me was that uh, it came out of the University of Hanover Medical School and it showed that it had spermidine enhanced telomere length and that was something that I was I was very I was pleased to hear but I was surprised by I actually thought that the next one they would prove would be cell senescence you know that it helps with stopping cell senescence and uh, there was that mouse study was corroborated by uh, another study I think in Austria I could be wrong, Germany, Austria. I feel like every day there has been something new coming out. Unfortunately, a lot of the studies are in mice. So the study I was thinking about was obese mice. And Amy is absolutely right. We just can't draw conclusions for humans from that. It looks very promising. We can't uh, draw conclusions to humans on that. So that's all we got. We got to look at mice. That's all we got. But hopefully the new studies will come out soon. But again, if, when you do studies with humans, that's you got to wait a long time. That's, that's yeah. the problem. That studies or, you know, the one that the most recent associational study, they were trying to combine experiments they had done in flies and in mice, and then look at the associational study, you know, look at this cohort of people and what they were finding. So some of the findings were kind of interesting in the animal models. They showed that spermidine increases mitochondrial respiration in neuronal tissue, which I thought was really interesting. And, and that's why, you know, it improved cognitive function essentially in these animal models. But I thought that was interesting because that's kind of the opposite of what metformin does. So metformin inhibits complex one in the mitochondria. So I'm like, this is a very different mechanism of action. And they were finding that spermidine was improving hippocampal function essentially and memory. And I'm like, well, does that mean that metformin could potentially have a negative impact on memory? And then I went, I actually went to take a look at the studies because it's not an area that I follow very closely. And it seems mixed. Like there are some studies that suggest that it could have a potential negative impact on You mean metformin? Metformin, Metformin, yeah. Metformin. So I, I just think it's interesting that, you know, we're starting, you know, to see more nuance in the mechanisms of action. And, you know, it's, it's, we just have to wait now for the human data to evolve. 
Yeah. yeah. And some of the some of the human data actually tends to come out of the beauty industry because of the fact that this is food derived and you know you're not going to get a patent. There's no pharmaceutical industry budget to fund these big clinical trials. However, the beauty industry does have money. And there was a study that came out, and I know you know about this, or I know Magdalena knows about it too, probably also Kaya. It's about spermidine and production of skin collagen and also elastin, I believe. And uh, you can actually open up one of our capsules and mix it in with your serum, but don't mix too much because the stuff is, it really sort of tightens it up uh, very, very quickly. And it feels very pasty as well, which I, I must say, I don't, I don't love, but you can do that. And it does seem to help with the stimulation of collagen and elastin. And we also, we've talked about this before. We know that any part of the body that has high cellular turnover, we spoke about the gastrointestinal tract, um, but hair and nails are one of the places where you have extremely high turnover. You know, you look at these old men during lockdown and they now have super long hair, right? Well, they may be old, but the cellular turnover is still happening and that's evidence of it. And that is one of the things that uh, we know spermidine does do. It helps with keeping the hair follicle in the antigen or growth phase, which is also when the melanocytes that produce melanin or pigment are active. And uh, we get lots of reports on fingernails being stronger, longer, eyelashes. You have numerous reports about eyelashes just going boing after about six weeks uh, and thicker hair. So we do have some clients who've who've said we ran, you know, we, we actually ran out of product at one point, you know, every company's disaster scenario. And uh, this fellow wrote, but what am I going to do about the bald patch that I have filled in? I don't want to lose it. When are you going to get this stuff back in stock? So, yeah. so people do notice little baby hairs growing in uh, and even some repigmentation you know, we've got uh, clients who've told us that that's happened. It's not, you know, a magic pill, but it's just keeping those cells in the growth phase for that much longer that helps. Oh, super interesting. Yeah. So um, in case people haven't picked up on this, um, so Leslie is the founder of Oxford HealthSpan and they have a product called Primadine. And this is where I get my spermidine from. Um, and I've been recommending it to a lot of people after I tested it out. And everybody so far is quite happy with it. So some of the things they look out for are the hair, the hair growth, like you said, I think they do have, I've gotten some really good feedback with that and um, the nails as well. So people are feeling good. Uh, are most of the people buying this product older adults? Yes, they are. They are older. And we recommend that there are people who are older. To be honest, when you're younger, you should be producing your gut biome. If it is in good health, should be able to help produce what you need. And the same with your tissues. And although they say that spermidine production begins to decline in your 20s, to be honest, if a young biohacker wants to take this, I actually say, I don't see really the point of a very young biohacker doing this because you're already optimized. This is really for people who are aging prematurely. So if you're 30 and you're aging prematurely, okay, this could help. But it's really for those who are over the age of 40 and we have the best results in people age 50 and above. 
Mm, okay. But so also the best- for young ones, it's great. I'm 33 and also my clients are younger and it's like, it, it does help with sleeping, for instance. Really? So Is I it working we- for you, Kaya? Okay, that's interesting. Also, if you are younger, I think we should start early. So when we will we'll be your age, it's like, you know, we will have less problems of everything. So that's a really good younger, comment. I think it's a great one. So. That's a really good comment. Well, that's great. Great feedback. That's really great feedback to share. This is interesting. Yeah, because Kai is quite young and um, in, in taking this. So and then again, I think it's kind of goes back to what you said that in general, if you're younger, you should be optimized and probably don't need it. But if you aren't and I know Kaya suffered from burnout at a very young age and so there was probably a lot of cellular damage and things going on so if you're not in optimal health and and you're young then it's something maybe to consider the sleep is interesting Amy was monitoring her HRV with the sperm while on spermidine is there any uh, any new new um, information you can share about your sleep while on spermidine I think in general I've had an increase in deep sleep when I've been, since I started taking spermidine. And what's really interesting is that it's mostly the sleep efficiency as well that has gone up. So I used to have to be really uh, strict with my timing of sleep, right? If I didn't go to sleep at 10, 10 o'clock or 1030, I would miss my deep sleep window and I would end up having, you know, not a very good score the next morning, let's say. But with spermidine, for some reason, it doesn't seem to matter because if I miss that window, I, I'm still able to get deep sleep during other parts of the night. So that's been kind of interesting to me. Hmm, super. Yeah, we, get, we do get that a lot. As a matter of fact, if you have to stay up late, and I've had to do this to do some podcast in, you know, in other time zones like Australia or the US, uh, I always think, oh my goodness, I'm not going to go to bed until 2 a.m. I will miss all my deep sleep. But I take the I take the primidine beforehand or the spermidine beforehand, and I get those two hours, which is fantastic because that we know that the deep sleep is one when the glymphatic system that carries the waste out of the compartments of the brain, when that is active, right? It takes it out in the cerebrospinal fluid. And also they believe when nutrients are brought into the brain. So getting that deep sleep window, especially for those of us who are older or postmenopausal is really important. And especially so for women, because we have twice the chance of getting Alzheimer's that men do. Yes, absolutely. Actually, that makes perfect sense. So yeah, I could do a whole other podcast on Alzheimer's. I'm not going to go down that path. But, yeah. um, but good for good for jet lag as well. Though we're not jetting around right now. But once yeah. we start again, this will be good for them. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, that's one of the, yeah. Go ahead. No, I was going to say one of the 2021 studies that I'm really excited about, even though it is an animal study, they showed that spermidine was responsible for the differentiation of T cells and promoted T regulatory cells. So what does that mean in English? That means that it helps with modulating the immune system. Someone like me who has a history of autoimmune disease, looking for compounds that are going to modulate the immune system and increase the production of T regulatory cells, you know, that's, that's quite exciting. And so in that study, they had the in vitro portion where they, you know, they looked at this mechanism of action, and then they actually gave it to mice that had inflammation in the gastrointestinal tract and they were able to reverse that inflammation. So I think this is like an exciting, you know, area that we're going to see more research in. Speaking of decreased inflammation, Amy, did you see the work that Felix Richter, who is in Katja Simon's lab has done on lipophagy? So this is autophagy of lipids. 
And that when that happens, which is also something that spermidine triggers, autophagy of mitochondria, autophagy of lipids, when that happens in, in adipocytes, it actually creates an anti-inflammatory response. And that is very exciting for those of us who are former uh, autoimmune patients. So I just happened to see that because he's speaking tomorrow at the UK Spine Conference in London. Oh, very interesting. Considering, yeah, now the fat cells and the inflammation that comes with it when you have too many and too much and too big fat cells where the inflammation comes from. So that, it makes perfect sense. There was a Chinese study in 2021 that was also very interesting on an obese mouse model. They fed them a high fat diet, whatever that means in these studies, I'm not hundred percent sure, but it's probably not the type of high fat diet that biohackers are on. And then they put spermidine in their drinking water for eight weeks. They showed that the spermidine lowered the fat mass and the plasma lipid profile, and that it improved glucose tolerance. And one of the really cool things they showed is that it promoted brown adipose tissue thermogenesis. So we're always talking about brown adipose tissue, right? That that spermidine promoted, you know, brown adipose tissue thermogenesis. So I was like, wow. Amy, that was the study I was talking about. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So So now we need the study in humans to see if it's doing that in us too. Yeah, I, I think there would be a lot of people who would be up for doing that study, to be honest. I think they'd volunteer. Maybe we should try to do it. But um, this idea of turning what I like to call wet to bat, white adipose tissue to brown adipose tissue Mm -hmm. is kind of the holy grail, right? And the standard American diet is making everybody have these big rolls of uh, white adipose tissue, which actually is not helpful for us, whereas the brown adipose tissue is what we want. Yeah, that's really exciting research. So you can see why I was like, I know there's a good study on this. <laughs> yeah. And to make people a little bit more simple too, in case you're still confused, the white uh, tissue, fat tissue is the stored fat and the brown one is the fat burning fat. <laughs> so that's why the brown one is, is better. So it sounds like there's a lot of benefits for getting spermidine. That's pretty awesome. And we know that we can make it endogenously. We know that we can get it from some foods and we can get it from supplements. So I want to know a little bit more about primidine as a, as a supplement in case you can't get your natto and your wheat germ, where else the cheese, the cheese rind mushrooms, if that's not in your diet, like regularly getting your spermidine, then you might want to consider a supplement. So are there any side effects to taking a supplement like this? I know there's a lot of benefits. Is there any risks? So we say very clearly on the site that this has what are called FODMAPs. So fructo, they have fructo oligosaccharides in them. And these are things that uh, will cause in people who have some kind of bacterial overgrowth or who have leaky gut, who already are predispositioned to gastric upset, they might find that when they have vegetables, anything with fiber, they get some kind of bloating. Well, it's going to be the same here because fructooligosaccharides are, um, are similar and they are the prebiotic fibers that feed those happy, healthy gut bacteria in your gut biome that produce spermidine and the prebiotic we have can selectively feed those, but it can just like a vegetable, like vegetable fiber or fruit fiber, it can also cause some bloating in those who are not used to it. So we always want to caution people who might have small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, SIBO, to 
start very slowly or, um, you know, just start with one capsule and make sure you have it with a meal because you're getting your digestive enzymes there, which can help. We also, you know, would say that if you do have leaky gut, try to heal and seal it first before you, you do anything that has a lot of fiber because it could just cause some discomfort. I know you have to do this because of labeling and claims and stuff. Have you, do you know anyone who's who's had this issue and, and reached out to you and said, I really want yeah. protein, but I have the FODMAP. Yeah. Yes, we have. We've had a few people. And actually, it's very funny because we, we actually had a doctor recently who said, um, who said this. And as soon as they say this, I always think, okay, that's, that is a case of undiagnosed SIBO. What we, you know, what we've said is, okay, don't take all three um, on their own without food, just start with one. So on day one, start with one capsule with a meal, generally we'd say because it can help you sleep, try with dinner. Then day two, if you don't have any gastric upset, then go to two capsules. If still no gastric upset, day three, you can go up to three capsules with your dinner. And then, you know, that is your, that's where you stop. You have those three capsules. And generally that works for those for whom two capsules is already too much. They just stay on the one capsule until their body gets accustomed to it. And then they can go up to two capsules. And again, they wait until their uh, gastrointestinal tract is able to handle the two capsules and then they go up to three. Okay. You said, you mentioned that primidine has prebiotics and, and that's, is that to help us produce our own spermidine in addition. That's the idea. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So you have, you have one milligram of, of additional spermidine, you know, supplemental spermidine, but then you have these uh, prebiotic fibers, fructooligosaccharides to enhance your body's ability, your gut biome's ability to produce its own. Obviously Mm -hmm. each of us is different and our gut Biome makeup is vastly different depending on our diet, how many antibiotics we've had, that kind of thing. The idea is to is to use the fructooligosaccharide to support the gut biome. That's super interesting. And I'm wondering if other spermidine supplements out there do the same thing. You know, I've only taken primidine because uh, I, I know you guys, I trust you 100%. I know you've done the work. You've explained to me in great detail. Um, and if you haven't heard this yet, go to the first podcast we did about your sourcing, about your standardization, and you're really crossing all your T's and dotting all your t- I's on this. Now, do you know anything about other supplements? Are they all kind of, do you, do, do they all include prebiotics or what's the difference, for example, of primidine with, with some other products out there that someone. I don't know of any other spermidine supplements that have a prebiotic with them. I also don't know of any other spermidine supplement that is, you know, that ensures that it's raw materials are manufactured in an FDA registered and inspected facility that adheres to ISO 22,000 standards. I don't know of any others that are encapsulating an FDA uh, registered facilities in the US either. Probably because we're patient survivors. I always say I only have nine lives and I've used up eight of them. So I have to be careful about what I put into my body going forward. That's why probably because I lived in Hong Kong for a long time. I you know, I, I guess I am half Chinese ethnically, but uh, I know uh, if you ask any of the Chinese, they don't trust their food supply. And uh, so I've been very cautious about 
using, say, Chinese suppliers, and even those that say that they're GMP, those things, those certificates can be forged. I just wanted something that I could trust. So the Japanese standards are incredibly high on their own, but then to find a manufacturer who also had the FDA registration and inspection, the GMP and ISO 22000 food safety standards just gave me that extra peace of mind that what I'm putting into my body is clean. Mm -hmm. And that was the comfort that I, that I needed. Also, you know, Amy is a, she's a Hashimoto survivor like me. I can't give her something that isn't clean. Right. I mean, it's sort of like a friendship thing at this point. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to have her try something that, that might be adulterated with something else. Yeah. Well, thank God, then you have this and you came along and did this for us because I, I mean, I, I haven't really searched anywhere else, but I was kind of question what, you know, what's out there. Super interesting. I, I wanted to know while we're sort of on this, like track of who can take and who can't, I know about you explain that your source comes from wheat germ. So what do we see? Because I've heard other podcasts on spermidine from other people. And, and there's always this question, should celiacs or can they take it? Is it safe for if you're gluten intolerant? And I've, I've heard the argument, you know, well, the, the two sides, one say no, because it's got wheat germ in it. And the other side says, well, actually, we're, sh- we're seeing that it's benefiting these people and, and, and helping them repair their issues. So what do you, I'm sure you must have heard this as well. What are your thoughts on this? And maybe, Amy, I don't know if Amy, who's better at answering this, but let me know. Um, as a nutritionist, I would never recommend a supplement that had wheat germ or wheat or gluten uh, to someone who has celiac disease. I would not until someone showed me, you know, many, many human trials showing that it was safe and effective, which you know, right now, that's not that's not the view. The view is that gluten does cause celiac disease in those who are genetically predisposed. So I would never recommend any type of supplement with gluten in it for people with celiac disease. I think gluten sensitivity is a different story. I think, you know, Leslie and I both with our autoimmune background, we generally avoid gluten in our diet, but we haven't had any problems um, tolerating primidine. So I think, you know, that's a case by case basis. And it's important for you to talk to your healthcare practitioner and, you know, make a decision based on your own circumstances. That sounds like a very qualified answer. <laughs> so if you guys have issues, go ask your doctor um, or try at your own risk. I've got other questions, but I really want to ask people who are here right now to ask your questions you have about spermidine uh, or primidine or anything right now before we wrap it up because it's been an hour. I have a question. I don't know if Zora told you, why not, but um, I'm on day three of the Prolon uh, fasting mimicking oh, diet. Great. And and then I'm wearing my glucose Your monitor. Glucose monitor. My- yeah. Well done. <laughs> well done. Time. I've had one of those <laughs> before too. Yeah. I'm in day three. It's been three days. You know, I felt hungry and irritable and everything. But what concerned me was that I was in hypoglycemia most of the time during uh, the diet, except for the times when I had the soups, in which case my glucose spiked up a lot. I think it's due to the rice flour in the soups. Uh, most of the other times I'm just in hypoglycemia around like anywhere between 2.7 to 3.6. So since I'm not diabetic, I don't feel like terrible enough that I, you know, I'm not doing, I'm going to work, you know, so I can still function. You know, I just wonder if it's dangerous um, that I'm in hypoglycemia. And also, since I've made it to day three, supposedly autophagy has started. How 
much more important are the fourth day and the fifth day, you know, like how much autophagy do I need? <laughs> I'm trying to balance kind of like if I feel like I'm in a dangerous zone and I need to stop, at least I've gotten some autophagy going. Yeah, I, I don't know how to kind of think about that because um, obviously the spermidine and all these other things are like short term autophagy, right? Whereas yeah. I'm like three days in, you know, uh, so I, you know, I kind of want to get your take on that. Okay. Um, because I'm, I'm a health coach, but I'm not a nutritionist and I can't comment on health and certainly not hypoglycemia. I'm going to let Amy take that question. Um, well, I am a nutritionist, but I am not your nutritionist. So it is hard <laughs> for me to comment. I can tell you my own experience with primidine, uh, with primidine, with prolon. Uh, uh-huh. I also had huge spikes in my blood glucose from the soups. You know, my husband was doing the same thing and he did not. And so I almost wonder if that's something that is microbiome related. In my particular case, I did not have the reactive hypoglycemia, like it sounds like you're having. And I think it could be a question of electrolytes. It, you know, there, there could be many things going on. And, you know, I definitely. Yeah, think I added good. electrolytes to my drink today, just because uh, Zora told me you told her that. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna add potassium and all the electrolytes, but I'm still hypoglycemic all day long. <laughs> Yeah, that's a tricky one. I mean, personally, you know, if I were in your position, I would probably stop, give it a go another time. But okay. I, how, how, how much of the autophagy benefits have I reaped up to now? <laughs> you know, I'm ending day three now. One of the problems is we, we don't really know yet, right? And mm. I, I suspect it will be something that varies from person to person based on all these factors. It will be great one day when we have a test so that we can mm. actually test some of these interventions and say, Oh, actually, I am in, you know, stage one autophagy or stage two autophagy. But right now, they can't do that Mm -hmm. outside of a lab. We can't know for sure. If I remember, I I mean, I think it's from the it's written down, I mean, in general, again, these are very general terms on the on the pamphlets and instructions. It's to the day three, I think is when you hit, according to this pro, you know, I'm not saying any diet or any fasting, I mean, according to fasting mimicking this one, yeah, then they were showing that I think it's day three is when you really hit the autophagy. You know, that's why I think you pushed pretty hard. And it, and again, it again goes back to, you know, how you're feeling and dialing with your body because mm-hmm. you only know you're hypoglycemic because you, you have the monitor. If you didn't yeah. have the monitor, what do people do? Most people doing these fasting mimicking diets or any kind of fasting don't wear the monitors. They have no idea. Are you double checking uh, with blood? Yeah. So I just got that kit from a friend. I don't know how to use that to figure it out. But I want to compare my Libre to this. Yeah. Check how far off it is. That's a good, I think it's a great idea. And you're going to do that several times as well. And it's really simple. I mean, you just read the instructions, you just prick your finger and you put mm. it in the monitor. And um, okay. And remember that with the blood glucose monitor, it's more accurate, the finger prick. Glucose monitors and interstitial fluid. It's kind of like there's a delayed reaction as well. So if you were to mm-hmm. find yourself at 4.0 in your finger, mm-hmm. you may still be at 3.2 or something in your arm. I mean, it's, it's, mm-hmm. there's a variance delayed reaction as well, Mm -hmm. as well as the accuracy. And of course, we know that these blood glucose monitors are not, you know, they they have variation. I don't know if it was like, I mean, depends on how many, which, which points you are, but it, yeah, about 20% or something like that, Mm -hmm. uh, or up to 20% Mm -hmm. could be off. So that's why I always go back to how are you feeling? And you, you, you will decide, you know, if you're really not right, you know, you, you just stop if you don't feel well. Yeah. One thing I was going to ask about was your thyroid function. And the reason I'm asking is because as 
a hypothyroid patient myself, I mm-hmm. have a terrible time fasting. I get hangry. Mm-hmm. I get yeah. exhausted. I get this feeling that I'm hypoglycemic. I've never done one while I've had a, cal- a, a continuous glucose monitor on, but what happens is I actually get a spike in reverse T3. It will cover your T3 hormone receptors in your cells. T3 is the thyroid hormone that's bioavailable and gives you energy. And reverse T3 is when your body says, oh, there's a famine. Stop Mm -hmm. everything. Shut the engine down because there is no fire to burn. It actually ends up in a sort of sluggish metabolism and a little bit of weight gain, which is the opposite of what you think would happen if you're- Yeah, I'm getting a little bloated, which is like, I was like, I was looking forward to the six pack abs, you know, everyone. Yeah. (laughs) But I'm getting a little bloated. Um, You know, I, I- I get my annual checkup every year. I think they test for thyroid, thyroid issues hormones, yeah. Yeah. and nothing has ever come up. My sister has okay. um, hypothyroidism, but I, you know, so that's why I check, but nothing has ever mm. come up for me. Prolon is very high in fructose oligosaccharides. So, you know, one of the reasons that they think it works is because of the autophagy. But another reason that it works is if you look at every packet of food that you're eating, that one of the first ingredients is inulin. Uh, so yeah. that is probiotic yeah. fiber, and yeah. that can that can blow people, right? That's gotta that be maybe sense. there. Maybe does inulin actually feed the fuso and bacteroides bacteria? I'm just trying to think. It will feed some, but I don't know if it feeds the ones that actually produce fermenting. That's actually quite interesting about prolin. I hadn't realized that. I, I'm convinced it's one of the main mechanisms of action that people are not really thinking about. Yeah, the gut biome connection that would make perfect sense, especially inulin is a prebiotic, right? It is. It's chicory fiber. So if you you know if you buy these over the counter prebiotic fibers, you'll find Uh inulin, maltodextrin. These are all prebiotic fibers. They do have a, a kind of flavor to them. Some chefs who some are sweet some are sweet that's right that's right both the maltodextrin and inulin have a slightly sweet taste and that's why overweight chefs uh, celebrity Mm -hmm. chefs like to incorporate it in their cooking because it actually imparts a sweet taste in baking but without the the guilty calories from the sugar or the Mm. glucose spike you get from that. Yeah, I'm still confused about the glucose spike. I mean, but I get that every time I eat rice flour. So Mm. it doesn't surprise me. Yeah, I'm not surprised. You're not the first person I know who's had this glucose spike. And it's primarily women who have it on Prolon. And I I know one man, actually, Amy, you and I have this one friend in common who said that the tomato soup totally spiked his glucose. Mm-hmm. I'd be interested in knowing what um, Walter Longo and the Prolun folks say, because I'm sure they get. Yeah, Zora, you have to ask him when oh, you see God, him. <laughs> yeah, when I take this course in summer, I will. But I, I do want to get in touch with them earlier anyways, as I'd like to have an explanation, because this is not the you know, first person I will be going through Prolon with. I mean, it's just, you know, I haven't had problems in the past with other clients, but um you, you know, I wouldn't want to have an explanation and, and maybe it's good information anyways, if they have to modify, or we're thinking sometimes Amy and I like, well, maybe they do this intentionally, you know, they've spent, you know, millions of dollars on creating this product and testing and retesting it. Maybe it has some kind of function. I don't know. Otherwise I just wanted to say with starches, it's like that if you cool them down, you don't get a glucose spike. So it's about hmm. cooling them down. So it's like if you have a sweet potato or rice 
or anything starchy food or carbohydrate, cool them down, wait for, I don't know, two hours or put them in the fridge. Mm-hmm. After that, you won't get a spike. So eat oh, interesting. <laughs> have, a, have a soup no. shake. <laughs> no, you, That's you, like the resistant starch thing with the potatoes, exactly. right? That's yeah, exactly that. it. And if you add a little bit of uh, medium chain triglycerides, MCT oil to it, it also enhances that... Um, resistance the the level of resistant starch and say cooled boiled rice exactly interesting amy i have a question for you i've heard from other nutritionists that this resistant starch thing you know cooling stuff down doesn't always work with everybody you mean some people can't tolerate it but some people will still have a blood uh, blood sugar spike even when they cool down their potatoes and rice. Have you heard that? Um, it's it's possible. I haven't really heard that in particular, but if that happens, I'm guessing it's because of their gut microbiome makeup. Maybe that's what it is. Speaking of autophagy, I wanted to get back to spermidine quickly, and then I'll let you guys go. And I can guess what the answer is, but I'm going to ask it anyways, is how do we know if the primidine that we're taking is activating autophagy? And when does it happen? That's a really good question. What we do know is that spermidine as a compound, as a molecular compound does induce autophagy. Knowing exactly when it does that in your cells is possibly going to vary from person to person. I know you were at the Balliol College Oxford University Symposium last week where Professor Yoshimori spoke about Rubicon, which is this compound that builds up in the cells. And in order to trigger autophagy, you have to kind of cross the Rubicon. You have to overcome the Rubicon in the cells. So that tipping point is probably going to be different for everyone, just like our microbiomes are different. Our physiology is bio-individual. I'm guessing that in younger people, it will be faster. In older people, or people who are prematurely aged, it will take a little bit longer. But where we can see that um, that something is definitely happening physiologically, again, is at the cellular level. And where do we have the most cell turnover? In our hair, in our nails, in our gut lining, right? And we see these differences, hair and eyelash length, and nails right away. People do notice that pretty much across the board. And I would guess also with deep sleep too, because the number of people who write to us and say, I couldn't believe it, but on the first night I took it, I could see it on my you know, on my aura ring, they could see the difference. I just don't think that happens without something greater holistically within the body happening, such as a but I'm only guessing. Yeah. It kind of reminds me a little bit. I don't want to like, um, I am I'm, I'm so convinced with primidine. I'm so convinced with spermidine and just not only for my, what I'm, what I'm feeling, I'm feeling great. My hair as well, the, the skin and the feedback that I get from people I recommend it to, but I, I remember attending a conference for Pharmanex where I was, I was distributing nutraceuticals and vitamins and things. And they were saying the scientists were saying, you know, it's, it's really hard to say if our product is making all these people healthy because they're coming back saying, Oh, I feel like great. I'm all healthy. Or if it's the fact that that's just because they started taking a vitamin, they start to have other healthy habits. They start to exercise more. They start to watch their diet. They're kind of like on this health bandwagon. So they couldn't, they couldn't say, but it's just something that always gets in the back of my mind. It's, it's really hard to say, what is it? And when I try to solve a problem, like right now it's my osteoarthritis, right? So I, 
take this spermidine. I'm getting my PRP. I'm doing ice baths. I'm doing it all. I don't have time to experiment one by one by one. I just do it all and hope for the best. And then if you ask me, what was it? I just tell them, this is everything I've done. You can try them all. Yeah, of course. If somebody has never taken supplements before and they happen to take a new one, probably they are focusing more on their health and they are incorporating other good lifestyle habits that will have a positive impact. What I will say is that again, pretty much across the board, people notice the the thing with the nails, the hair, the eyelashes and the deep sleep is pretty much across the board. After that, different things like reduction in visceral fat, um, you know, nobody likes the muffin top and people saying, oh, my muffin top is on. I was like trying to shift that. I couldn't shift it. And I finally did it with a little bit of exercise in this. I can't attribute this 100%, right? It's like what Amy says with the associational studies and the, and causation. We can't say that. We do get this feedback so often that it does appear that there is a link to promoting good sleep and promoting healthy, healthier, thicker hair with more pigmentation healthier, stronger nails and longer eyelashes that don't fall out as Mm -hmm. often. One thing I do want to tell people about taking supplements or starting a treatment or using a new skincare product, whatever it is, give it time. Okay. You people are expecting miracles after a week or two or three, four, and then nothing happens. And I'm like, you just give it some time. So when you're trying something new, please, like I would say, give it three months and, and see what happens. I don't know. Can you tell me a little bit with primidine, what results you're seeing? How long does it take for people to see some kind of a change or feel a change? Some people see it on the very first night. So there was a a woman here in the UK who gave it to her husband. And she said for the very first time in over a decade, he was able to sleep through the night. I had that that reply as well. I had feedback as well on the very first night, the same thing with someone else who said deep sleep improved massively and never had a deep, good, deeply deep sleep score in her aura ring. So sorry to interrupt. That's interesting. No, no, but that's interesting person, but no, no, this is, this is someone here in the UK. Um, What they ended up doing was they then for the husband, I suppose, based on body weight, he's bigger than, than she, is he ended up finding that his sweet spot was for capsules. So he takes that before bed. He doesn't have any gastric upset. He doesn't need to take it with dinner. He just has it right before bed. We get a lot of reports about first night. After that is going to be, I'd say, nails and eyelashes within six weeks. And uh, Sandy Cruz actually did a funny post the other day. She had this thing on her eyelashes and said that she just noticed one day that they'd gone boing. <laughs> and this is what happened to me. I, I mean, I I confess I took another spermidine supplement for about a year before I found our raw material. I was not expecting anything, any changes between ours and the other product. And after just a few weeks on ours, I got the eyelash effect and I thought, that was not what I was expecting. I also got this uh, diminishing of cellulite, which I thought was that is so weird, right? It's not supposed to happen. You're not supposed to get less as you get older, right? <laughs> I think that was the lipophagy. And that's what I mentioned to, I mentioned it to Katja Simon, who said, oh, it's the lipophagy. It's like, really? Okay, good. You need to advertise this more. (laughs) (laughs) 
I'd say if you don't get it the first night, probably six weeks. And then from improved memory, we know it takes three weeks. Those were the clinical studies for one milligram of spermidine. Super cool. I have like a million more questions, but I think I'm going to have to stop. Otherwise, Amy will never get to her kids and um, (laughs) get ready. I'm going to let you go. I'm just so fascinated by this topic. I'm so excited to see where the research takes us. Amy, is there anything else you'd like to add about the research before we go or anything else you'd like to say in general about spermidine? I just watch this space. I think think it's going to be an exciting, you know, end of 2021 to 2022. And and we're going to see some interesting results. Thank you so much. Thank you, Leslie, for all your time. Any last parting words that we should know before we go? Same as Amy, watch this space. And um, of course, we'll have our videos from last week's symposium up soon. So, you know, those will be interesting to, uh, to rewatch, but there were some good comments from Dr. Sandra Kaufman on the research as well. And she really goes even more, much more deeply into it than, than Amy and I were able to today, obviously for some FDA regulatory reasons. Oh, that's exciting. So where can somebody get those videos? Um, we're giving them, we're sharing them with our customers. So if you're already a customer, then you'll get access. If you are, of course, a student or researcher or academic at Oxford or the University of Osaka, you can also get those um, as well. All right, then if you guys want to get that, go get some spermidine. <laughs> go to primadine.com, P-R-I-M-E-A-D-I-N-E.com and start with your spermidine uh, with primadine. You can get 20% off if you use the code Zora. <laughs> How easy is that? Z-O-R-A. And then you can get those videos. <laughs> but at least you'll be on spermidine. You'll be getting your primadine. And I'm, I'm so grateful that I have you guys in my life, this product in my life. Really, really excited to see see the research unfold and see how, how powerful and this, the super longevity agent is going to just get more and more strong. I, I believe throughout the years. So we'll see. So have a great right. night, a good night, a good morning, good evening, wherever you guys are. Thank you, everybody. Thank you everybody for watching and thank you guys for your time. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Bye. You can find Amy Lamotte on Instagram at Amy Lamotte, L-A-M-O-T-T-E. And you can find Leslie Kenny also on Instagram at Leslie's New Prime. You can find more links to all of their work on the hackmyage.com forward slash podcast page, as well as links to everything we spoke about here and all of my podcasts. And you can get Primadine at a discount. Go to P-R-I-M-E adine.com and use code Zora, Z-O-R-A at checkout. Hey, did you enjoy the podcast? Don't forget to subscribe to be notified of all the new episodes and leave a review to help build the tribe. It's a small act of kindness that brings me big benefits and helps others find this amazing content. The best thing you can do is share. Sharing is caring. Statements made on this podcast have not been evaluated by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Anything we say or products we mention are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Information provided by this podcast is not a substitute for personal medical advice and not intended to replace a one-on-one relationship with a qualified healthcare professional. It is intended as a sharing of knowledge and information from the personal research and experience of me and my guests.